0: My name is Fred and I'm so glad y'all are here. I do have one more announcement and it is about our summer of fun. Um, here's what we're gonna do this summer. Summer is a time where people are in and out all, all summer long because of vacations and stuff like that. And, and, and it is this season where uh, we do enjoy being outside, we do enjoy having fun together. And so as a church, we really wanna kinda ride that wave and, 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 and call it the summer of fun. Uh, FSM with Caleb has got 104 uh, days of summer fun planned out, not literally, but metaphorically, I think, right? It's not really 104 days, is it, Caleb? Hey, Caleb, how are you doing? <laughs> 104 days. <laughs> 104 days, metaphorical, right? All right. Well, you came up with it. Well, yeah, I stole it from somewhere. If you know, if you know where 104 days of summer vacation comes from, yes? That's right, Phineas and Ferb, boom, there you go. Uh, but Caleb's got stuff, Sarah's got stuff, some fellowship kids. Every Sunday is an opportunity for, for summer of fun, and this is where it impacts us. One of the things that I want to see us do over this summer is connect, and, and hang out, get to know each other better because one of the things I know is that when we are together and we get to know people that we don't know, haven't known before and we hear their stories and get to know them, there is life change that happens in that. And so what we're doing, just just completely practically, uh, numbers go down during the summer in attendance just because people are in and out. And so we kind of realize this is a really unique summer for us because we launched Fellowship Weaverville and 100 people went there, that we have this kind of window that we probably won't have again where we can all fit into one service for about seven weeks during the summer. So starting on Father's Day, we're gonna have one service here and one service in Weaverville, both at 1045. So, the, so this really doesn't affect y'all's schedule as much. Y'all get to come this time, but what you're gonna notice is there's gonna be more people in here and it's gonna feel a little more full. And here's what I'm excited about with that. I'm, I'm kind of a, a visionary by nature and, and sometimes I just kind of get these pictures of a preferred future and what I would love to see. And in my mind, I have this moment on a Sunday, hopefully it happens lots of Sundays, but where you know first service people, second service people are in here, the room is, is full, and we're worshiping, and the sounds of our voices in worship are louder than the sounds of the band. And I have this moment where I'm like, that's what, that's what I'm, I'm hoping for for this summer is that. And so we're going to have one service, 10:45. Again, that starts when? Father's Day. Now, what we're doing, too, to kind of capitalize on Summer of Fun and to have fun together is every Sunday during those seven weeks where we're one service, we're doing something fun together. We've got Father's Day, which we've got some fun stuff planned for that. A couple of Sundays, we're going to walk over to the park right across the street, catty corner from us at Oakley Park, and have lunch together. So we're asking everybody to bring a picnic lunch, and after church, we'll head over there. Some Sundays, we're going to do popsicles on the porch and just hang out together. Uh, We're going to go to the tourist game that one's actually on a Friday night because it's firework night and that's really fun um, We have got summer suppers that's going to be happening too where, where we kind of help you plan uh, to have people over to your house and get to know them uh, over dinner so so it is going to be a summer of what? That's right. Summer of fun. Good job. Good job. Uh, And and we're really excited about that. Um, uh, If you want to, there's also a flyer in the lobby that you can grab that has a lot of those dates on there. Uh, And so you can do that. And, And one more thing, too, that I forgot, which I think is really critical, it's not just about us getting together to have fun. We've also got some incredible service opportunities this summer. At Ledgewood Apartments, we serve lunch. Uh, every Wednesday. um, There's a a lunch program that goes on there. And so you'll have an opportunity to sign up for that. And there's some other service opportunities because service leads to life change as well. And so we want you to engage in those as well. So to find out about all of them to keep up to date, uh, we've got our update, which when you fill out that connect card that gets you on that update or just check our website uh, for stuff like that. Well, I'm going to pray for us uh, and I'm going to dive in. And this weekend is Memorial Day weekend. Tomorrow is Memorial Day. It is the, the day that we are to pause as a nation and to remember those who have have fallen in the line of service to protect our freedom as a country. And so I have a question that I want us to consider before we dive into the message, and it's this. Um, On Memorial Day, as we remember those who've lost their lives for our freedom, is your family affected by that? Do you know someone who lost their life to protect our freedom, or do you know someone who knows someone that lost their life to protect our freedom. Because tomorrow is about that and about, and about remembering that and remembering the sacrifice that they made. And so what I would like to do, and y'all can join me in this, is just say a prayer for those families as they grieve today, as they celebrate great memories, as they grieve losses, um, because that's what tomorrow is. And so let me say a prayer, and then we'll, we'll dive into the message And if y'all would pray with me, Jesus, um, as a nation, we take this day to remember those who um, sacrificed their lives for our freedom. Um, And God, I'm I'm thankful for that freedom. I'm I'm thankful that that I can stand up here and preach your word um, unashamedly, and that this sermon will be on the website for people to listen to wherever they are, because in some countries... Uh, that doesn't happen. That freedom isn't there. And so, Father, we live in this great country, in this in this unique time. Um, but, Father, um, there are families whose whose lives had to be given uh, for that freedom. And, Father, we don't take that for granted. We thank you for their sacrifice, and I pray particularly for those families uh, that your Holy Spirit is it's, it's his name is Comforter, and I pray that your holy Spirit would comfort these families in their grief and let them let them laugh and and enjoy and celebrate um, the sacrifice that was made, but may they also mourn and grieve what was lost Father and may you help them through that process and God I pray as 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 we remember those who courageously laid down their life so that we could have freedom, Father, that we would um, also be reminded, and even if we don't know anybody, that 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 affects, but that we would use tomorrow too, not to just pray for those families, but to remind ourselves of the gospel, that there was another sacrifice that was laid down for us to give us freedom. And Father, so we not only remember those families and And Father, I ask that you would remind this congregation and remind me to spend time tomorrow praying for those families, praying for your comfort and your joy and your peace on them. But that we would also, Father, I pray that you would remind us to to remember the sacrifice that was made for our freedom so that we could have this good and right relationship with you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now, I also uh, want to start my message with a question for you. Now, I'm gonna, I actually, I'm going to ask you two questions, all right? One question is just going to be a participation award, right? All you got to do is raise your hand. The other one uh, is going to require some honesty from you, all right? And then, and then you can either raise your hand or not. So here's the first question. This one just requires participation, and it's this. Does this describe your work environment? that I am not in full-time paid ministry, right? In other words, you do not have, yeah, go ahead and raise your hand if you're not in full-time paid ministry. You have a job outside the church. Now whether, do it again, I was looking down, I'm sorry. Raise your hand if you're not in full-time paid ministry. Okay, very good. Most of the people in the room, that's, that's, that's what I expected. You're not employed by a church uh, to do the work of the ministry. Now, now we're gonna, I'm gonna ask you the honest part, all right? Now, particularly, it's honest because I don't want you to automatically go to the church answer, right? A lot of you have been in church for a while. You know what the right answer to this question is. I want you to pause and I want you to be honest before you answer it because just because you know the right answer doesn't mean you believe the right answer. So I want you to address what you believe with this question. So here's the honest part. Most of you do not work in the church. You don't work in full-time paid ministry is what I mean by that. And so the honest part, have you ever thought, even if just for a moment, or maybe you're thinking it now in your current workplace, have you ever thought that the Bible and maybe even the truths of Christianity don't really apply or affect your workplace, your place of work? That maybe there's a separation between what you do on Sunday and what you do Monday through Saturday. Raise your hand if you've ever thought or felt that, right? I mean, I'm raising my hand and I am working full-time ministry, right? Here's what's interesting. I'm going to share something with you that I kind of found to be amazing. The Bible that I preach from is this one. This is not the one that I use during the week. I have a bigger study Bible that I use during the week because this one's nice and clean. My other one's written all in and lines drawn all over it and stuff like that. When I was preparing for this message, I was using that Bible, and I took that Bible, and I said, okay, how many pages are in this Bible? There's 1,747 pages in that Bible, not including table of contents, maps, and all the stuff at the end, just words on it, pages. Then, just to make sure I was thinking right, I kind of went through and and quickly kind of scanned every book in the Bible to make sure I was right, because my hunch was, out of that entire Bible, there was really only about four books that are specifically written to people in full-time paid ministry for how to do full-time paid ministry. Malachi is written to the priest, and there's that one's really about how the priest should repent of, of what they were doing wrong. But then you have first and second Timothy, and you have Titus that is written to pastors on how to lead and run the ministry. The rest of the Bible is written. For all of you who raised your hand that you work either in the home or outside the home, either for the home or for a company, the rest of the Bible is written for people who aren't in full-time paid ministry. Now, if you want to know the math on that, that means those books, Malachi First and 2 Timothy and Titus, which by the way are four really short books, comprise 24 pages of that 1,747 pages. So if you're into statistics, it means this. 99% of the Bible was written for those who aren't in full-time paid ministry. 99% of the Bible is meant to be read, applied, and, and lived out by those who aren't in full-time paid ministry. Even the book of Leviticus, which is like Old Testament law, it was written for the people. And if you were raised in a Jewish home back in the, in the ancient times, you would have memorized that book by the time you were like eight, I think. Because it was meant for you as a person working in the workforce to live it out. So what that means is that 99% of the Bible was meant to be, to be lived out by, by people who worked in shops, who worked in fields, by people who worked in the home. 99% of the Bible is meant to be read and applied and understood by those of you who raised your hand, who work in all the different places that you work. Now, if this is true, And if, for those of you who raised your hand during the honest question, and I appreciate your honesty, if that's true, that 99% of the Bible is meant to to be read and applied and understood by those of you in the workforce, but yet some of you raised your hands. I mean, at times I feel like what I read in my Bible doesn't really make sense in my workplace or doesn't really impact my workplace. Then the next question is this, how in the world do you connect your Bible to your work? How do you connect your faith to your work? You see, maybe a way to think about it is this, is it possible, and I'm going to say this phrase a lot so you might get tired of hearing it, but is it possible for your place of work to become a place of worship for you? Is it possible for your workplace to be a place of worship for you? You see, sometimes I wonder if there's this tendency to separate our work week from our worship day of Sunday, our Monday through Saturday, to separate it from our Sunday. Now, I know, I know most of the people in here are, are mature enough to know that you can't be two different people. You can't be a person on Sunday and then a different person Monday through Saturday. But my question is, do we sometimes separate those two things? And do we sometimes think that God is more concerned about our Sunday than he is our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? And if we can answer that question, if we can see what scripture says about that, would that change how we live on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? And when that, would that even change how, how we gather together in worship on Sunday? Would it affect the way you see your work? Well, today we're going to look at a couple of verses of a guy who was an incredible workplace employee and workplace leader. And what's interesting is he's a guy who most people wouldn't consider, just like them, a worker outside of full-time paid ministry. And we're going to be looking at Psalm 78 Verses 70 through 72. Um, It's on page 397. If you want to use the Bible in front of you, uh, you can grab that one. It's on page 397 in that Bible. If you don't own a Bible, please take that one with you as our gift to you. Or like Carol mentioned, uh, you can also download the Bible app. Uh, If you download the Bible app, we're under events and under Fellowship Asheville and everything is there. And as you're turning there, we're doing what I call a standalone sermon today because we're in between two different series. We just finished the unsubscribe series uh, where for Easter, we looked at how people with doubt, fears, and unmet expectations, how Jesus interacted with them. And what we saw time and time again is that that when he engaged them in their doubts and fears and unmet expectations, never was there shame, never was there scorning, but there was always a a call to, to live in truth and a call to, to embrace the resurrection. And then on Easter, we saw a couple do that. We saw them embrace the resurrection. And, and, and those sermons after that was, was this, the resurrection is this invitation to follow Jesus. It's an invitation to show others about your faith in Jesus. And we saw this shift in people. And If you, didn't, if you weren't here for that series, you can listen on our website. It's, it's, really, it's really comforting to see how, how Jesus meets us in our doubt. And, and speaks truth to us. And, and starting next week, we're going to start a series in the book of James. And we're calling it Wholehearted because what James is writing for is he wants the readers of his letter to, to live this wholehearted faith, to not have this separation between church and life, but, but that it's all one, which speaks a little bit to what we're going to talk about today. And so that'll be fun. We're doing that during the summer. But, but with these standalone sermons, it's fun because I get to pray and pick and, and, and be like, okay, what does our congregation need to hear? And so, so today we're going to talk about something that, that all of you raised your hand for. Because today we're going to talk about work. And we're going to see work from someone who you may not think is a worker just like you, but they are. And his name was David in the Bible, King David, as a matter of fact. And what I love about David is that he started as this common field worker. He started as a shepherd and became king. And what's interesting, though, when you read stuff about David, at least my mind sometimes puts him in the category of full-time paid ministry, but he never was. He was never a priest. He never worked in the temple. He worked in the fields, and he worked in the government is what he did. He was a worker, just like all of you who raised your hands. And his career path wasn't one of, of full-time paid ministry. But what we're going to see is that his promotion from, from the field to the throne, from shepherd to king, wasn't because of his ability. It was because of something that we will see today. It was because he was able to make his place of work a place of worship that he didn't see any difference between what he did in the temple and what he did in the field. To him, they were both opportunities to glorify God. And so how did David do this? Well, let's look. Let's look at chapter uh, Psalm 78, verse 70 and 71 says this. It says that he chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds from following the nursing news. He brought him to shepherd Jacob his people, Israel his inheritance. And so David started off as a shepherd, right? He started off in the fields. And, 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 and the deal with a shepherd is if you were a shepherd, you were considered like the lowest rung on the ladder, right? If you work in a corporate uh, environment, like the mail room is always like stereotypically the lowest rung on the ladder because literally it's the lowest place in the building usually. And if you work in the mail room, you're one of those folks that just kind of come through the office and drop off mail that nobody talks to. And that was a shepherd back in the day. They stunk, they were with sheep all day, like nobody wanted to be around them. David, as a matter of fact, was was considered so low that when the prophet showed up to his family's house and said, I wanna see all of your sons because one of them is gonna be anointed king, his father brought everybody out except David because he was the shepherd out in the field and wasn't even considered to be part of this. And so in David, even though he was the shepherd out in the fields and even though the, the, the culture around him said that his job wasn't of any worth, he saw that field as a place of worship. Literally, he saw it as a place of worship. If you read some of the Psalms, they were written by David when he was a shepherd out in the fields. And so for him, this literal lowly workplace was a place of worship. And for David, his ability to see even this lowest job as a place of worship set him up for his next gig, right? Because in, in David, here's what we see, in this, and this kind of applies for all of us, and it's this, that your job doesn't define your worship, but your worship certainly can define your job. And so for David, his job wasn't defined um, uh, by his worship, but his worship defined his job. Now, let me give you a picture of this that happened to me this week. We we, uh, live kind of out in the country a little bit, um, and we're on a septic tank, which is having issues. So I had somebody come out and inspect our septic tank. This guy is brilliant, right? He knows how to get rid of poop in a healthy way unlike anybody I've ever seen, all right? Now, there are going to be a couple of points in this message where I do get to see who the middle school minds are in here right? That's one of them. So thank you for laughing. But, but this guy really is genius. And, and, and he inspected. They had this camera whoo, that they ran through the line and all this stuff. It was, it was incredible to see. But man, this is his job. And, and, and he's, he's incredibly knowledgeable at it. And so he was asking me questions. And I was getting to know him. And we were having this great time. And he goes, so tell me what you do for a living. And so that's always the question, right? And I go, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And he goes, where? And I said, Fellowship Asheville. And the guy that was working with him said, oh, I've been to Fellowship Asheville. When y'all met at the Y, our church came to visit one day to kind of see what y'all were doing. It was great fun. And he looks at me and he goes, let me tell you about a conversation I had with a pastor one day. Uh, I held my breath because I was like, okay, what? I'm going to have to run recovery on this. Like, what, what happened? He said, I was at this pastor's house and... Um, uh, working on his septic tank. And the, the guy looked at me and he said, what did you do that was so bad in your life that this has to be your job? Right? And I was, I was like, oh gosh. But he goes, let me tell you what I told him. And keep in mind, we hadn't talked about the gospel at all. We hadn't talked about church. And he said, I looked at this pastor and I said, well, I'm saved, which I didn't know at that point. But what that means is that that he understood the gospel and he understood that that God became human so that we could have a relationship with God that God literally stooped down to us and took on flesh so that we could know God and have a relationship with God. And then that, 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 that Jesus died the death of a criminal and took on humiliation and took on shame. So that when we stood before God, when we say yes to Jesus, we don't have humiliation and we don't have shame. That's what he meant when he said he was saved. That Jesus did all of that for him. And so he said he looked at this pastor and he goes, well, I'm saved. And if Jesus could do all of that for me, what job is beneath me? Like, yes, he got it, right? He understood that, that it doesn't matter what your job is, that your job doesn't define your worship, but your worship defines your job. And for this guy, no matter what others think about his job, it was actually a place of worship. And what we see in, in David and what we see in this guy is that the lowest of jobs really can become a place of worship. You see, I don't don't need you to raise your hand, but, but how many of you right now are doing your dream job? Not many of us, right? Some are. Some are. And that's awesome. But not many of us. Not many of us were sitting in high school thinking you wanted to be doing this. I guarantee you that guy wasn't sitting in high school dreaming that he wanted to be a septic tank inspector. But he knew it was a place of worship. You see, the question is, no matter what your job is, no matter how low, how, how high, no matter if it's your dream job or another job, what can help you see your job as a place of worship? Look back at verse seventy and 71. I want you to look at it real quick. Who moved David from the fields to the throne? Who does, who does the psalmist say did that? God did. That God moved David from the field to the throne. You see, and for us, no matter what our job is, no matter how low or how high or how dream or how nightmarish our job can be, what we have to understand is that God knows where you are and God knows where you're going. You see, God knew that David was a shepherd in the field and God knew that David would be king of the nation. And the fact that David could see this lowly job as a place of worship set him up to guess what? See the big job as a place of worship too. That just like the field could be a place that glorified God, so could the throne room be a place that glorified God. You see, church, God really does have a plan for your life that he has orchestrated since the beginning of time one of my seminary professors, Howard Hendricks, used to say, God, now keep in mind, he's got a room full of men and women who are wanting to go in the ministry, and he would look at us and say, God doesn't need the first, and he would, and he would start, I mean, God doesn't need another, and he would start naming off all these pastors that we all knew, like celebrity pastors that we all knew. God doesn't need another. At that point, it was like, it was like Chuck Swindoll and Chip Ingram, and, and, and he would say those names, and we'd all be like, yeah, God doesn't need another one. He would say, God needs the first you. That's why he puts you on this earth because he has a plan for you. And it's a plan different than any big name that you can imagine, that God doesn't need another Steve Jobs, he needs the first you. God doesn't need another Andy Warhol, he needs the first you. God doesn't need another Steph Curry, he needs the first you. That's what he would say because God has a plan for our lives. He knows where we are, and he knows where we're going. But church, if God knows exactly where we are, and he knows exactly where we're going, what do you do? What do we do in the meantime between those two things? Well, look at what David did, because verse 72 is kind of his secret sauce. We're making the workplace a place of worship. Look at verse 72. It says, With an upright heart, he shepherded them. The NIV says that he shepherded them with integrity of heart. And that kind of captures a little better what the psalmist is trying to describe. Because what the psalmist is saying is that when David's heart was in the field, his heart wasn't actually someplace else. Right When David was in the temple, his heart wasn't someplace else. David didn't have a part of his heart that was for worship in the temple and another heart of his part that was for work. It was all integrated together. It was all one heart that he saw the field as an opportunity to glorify God just as much as he saw the temple as an opportunity to glorify God. He had a heart for worship and a heart for work, and they weren't separated. He had a whole heart. There was no division between the sacredness of his faith and the secularness of tending sheep. There was no difference between the holiness of worship and the commonness of being out in a field. To David, worship and work weren't like this. You see, for those of you who 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 were honest and said, Yeah, sometimes like I don't get how my Bible applies to my work. Sometimes I don't get how even sermons apply to my work. They feel disconnected. You're saying this, sometimes they're like this. And what David is shooting for with integrity of heart is that they're not like this. Actually, they're like this somehow. That a workplace for you can be a place of worship, that they're not separated, but they're intimately united. And so David's lesson is this, that a workplace can be a place of worship. A.W. Tozier is one of my favorite authors. And when he wrote in the, in the 40s and 50s and 60s, there wasn't really a category for him. They labeled him as a, as a modern Christian mystic. Because the stuff that he talked about was scripturally true and, and powered by the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that he talked about is this, as a matter of fact, in the book Pursuit of God is where he talks about this. And my copy of it is so dog-eared and highlighted. Every time I read it, I highlight in a different color just to see uh, stuff jump out at me different than it does last time. And it looks like, like a crayon box melted in my book because there's just colors everywhere. And one of the things he says about this division between what is sacred and what is secular, between what is holy and common is this. He says, every act of life is or can be as truly sacred as prayer, baptism, or the Lord's Supper, right? Every act of life can be as sacred as prayer, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. Think about every act that you do in your day, right? You get up in the morning, you take a shower, you use the restroom, you go to work, like you eat, you 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 tend to your kids, you play with your kids, you make sure that they look somewhat presentable when they leave the house. Like 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 it, you do all these things. What Tozer is saying is every act that you do during your day can be as sacred as communion, as prayer. And as the baptisms, like we celebrated last week, and here's what he says. He says, to say this is not to bring all acts down to one dead level. So you don't take the holy things and make them common. He says, it is rather to lift every act up into a living kingdom and turn the whole life into a sacrament. So how are we doing, church? Is your workplace a place of worship for you. Well, let's talk about this for a minute. How can you how can you have your workplace be a place of worship? First, I think you have to you have to ask and answer this question. And here's the deal. I can't answer this question for you. No one can answer this question for you. We can just ask it and it's this. Does my work honor God? Right? Does the work that you do honor God, meaning this. Is it? Is it a work of creation? Is it fixing what is broken because those are, are good and holy things? Is it helping others in some way? Is it providing a good work environment and a good work? Like, like is it benefiting those around you? Is that honoring to God? <laughs> you can also Look at Philippians chapter four, and Paul gives us what to think about. And I think I think the things that we meditate on is also this good category for is your work honoring to God? Because in, in, in Philippians 4, verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, does, does your work promote what is true? Whatever is honorable, whatever is, is good, does your work promote that? Whatever is just, does your work push back injustice and push forward what is just? Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, he says, think about these things. These things are also good things to answer this question. Does my work honor God? And I think as a church, as individuals, you need to ask that question. And you need to be able to answer it yes. And if not, you need to find something else to do with your life. Now, if you answer yes to that question, the next question is how in the world then do you engage God's presence during your work? How can your workplace become a place of worship? Does this mean that you're that person that listens to Christian music really loud so that everybody can hear it? No, it does not. Do not be that person. That is an annoying person. That is not a helpful person, right? Right. Don't be the person that, that, that goes about it that way. Maybe, though, maybe what it looks like to have an, a heart of integrity where worship and work are, are intimately connected is that when you pull up in the parking lot, you know, you, you've gotten the kids off to school, you've done, you've, you've done what you need to do this morning, you ate breakfast on the way and you're wearing more of it than you actually ate and there's crumbs all over the car and all this stuff. The tendency is just to get out and go in but what if you paused for 30 seconds and just prayed before you went in and just asked God to to, to let his Holy Spirit show you God's priorities for your day instead of yours? What if you stopped and prayed and and asked God to help you push forward what is good and push behind you what is evil? What What if at lunch you took a few minutes to read your Bible or to read a devotional Or if you're a stay-at-home parent, or even if you work from home and part of your job is is taking care of kids and and being at home, what if you had these reminders that were markers during your day? I actually got this idea from a a curriculum uh, for churches to work with nursery nursery, uh, workers. And it said, you know, every time you change a dirty diaper, use that as an opportunity to confess your own sin to the Lord. Because just like this baby comes to you dirty and leaves clean, God does the same thing with you. You bring your sin to him, and when you leave, you're clean. And this is a great picture. So maybe, maybe as, you're, as you're cleaning a dirty bottom, it's an opportunity to, to concentrate on your own heart, too, and be like, man, what is sinful in here that needs to be wiped clean? James says, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed, that there's healing in confession. But if you had those kind of markers in your day, or let's be real, if you're a stay-at-home parent, Maybe you might get some alone time when you go to the bathroom, but you have to lock the door, right? Because either a dog, a cat, or a child will want to come into the bathroom when you're in there. And the only way to get alone is if you lock the door. But maybe you use that time when you're going to the bathroom because if any act in your day can be as sacred as baptism and as communion and as prayer, you know what? When you go to the bathroom, it could be a sacred time. And you could read your Bible. You could read a devotional. You could spend that time meditating on God's word, right? Thank you for the middle school minds that are containing yourself right now, but yes, yes, it can be. You see, your workplace can be a place of worship by simply praying and thinking about God's word and reading God's word at different times throughout your day. But listen, I'm gonna be honest. What David did next, I think, is much harder to make your workplace a place of worship. Because look at what the psalmist says David did next. It says, with an upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with a skillful hand. This word skillful means that he worked at his job. He didn't just do what came to him naturally. He did what came to him naturally and made it better. And he worked. And I can't imagine that there were shepherd podcasts, but if there were, he was listening to them, right? Of how to be a better shepherd. He was becoming a skillful shepherd. He was a very good shepherd. He worked hard and he worked hard at being good at what he did. And for David, hard work and worship also weren't on opposite ends in the spectrum, butting heads of each other. They were linked together. And so let me ask you a question that may be stepping on some toes. All right, and it's kind of a nosy question. I'm gonna admit that from up front. But if I were to sit down with your boss and go, hey, tell me who your hardest workers are. Maybe not your best workers, because some people are really good and they don't have to put forth any effort. But who are some of your hardest workers that you have? Would your boss mention your name? Right? Like I said, one of my favorite movies is Rudy. Right? Rudy was not a good football player, but he worked hard at being good, and because he worked hard, he got to play in one of the best teams of the nation. Right? I'm not going to ask your boss, well, I'm probably not going to ask your boss this question anyway, but if I did, I'm not going to ask him who's the best. I'm going to ask him who's the hardest worker, who's trying their hardest to be good at what they do. And if your name isn't mentioned, here's what I'm going to ask you to do as your pastor. Please. If, you're, if, if, you're, if your name isn't mentioned on, on the top few people in the company as the hardest working people in the company, please don't tell them you're a Christian. If you're known as being lazy, if you're known as not meeting deadlines, if you're known as not getting your work done, please tell them you're some other religion. Don't tell them you're a Christian. Because here's the deal I have talked to too many bosses that have Christians in their workforce. And y'all, sometimes we don't have a great reputation out there. That has to change because here's what happens. If your name isn't listed and the top few people of the company of being the hardest workers, at least to your boss or your manager or however the hierarchy is of your company, then your work ethic actually limits your witness at work. Your workplace can't be a place of worship Because your work ethic compromises the story of Jesus in your life. Y'all, David was a skillful shepherd. The church needs you to be a skillful whatever it is that you do. You don't have to be the best. Like, that pressure is off. But you've got to be skillful at what you're doing. And you've got to be hardworking at what you're doing. Because here's how this is, and I don't know why this works, but it does. When you are at the top of the list of your company as, as being a person who at least is trying hard and working hard and the boss sees that, that opens doors for the gospel that can't be opened any other way. That there are bosses who I talked to and they say, listen, I don't care what they believe, they're the best worker I've got. And that opens doors because then your boss looks at you and they throw stuff at you and you take it with peace and grace and you move things ahead and they're like, I want some of whatever it is that they've got, right? David had a skillful, uh, he was a skillful shepherd. He had a hard work and he worked hard at being good. Now at this point in the message, here's what you might be feeling like. Right? You might be feeling like a lazy worker or a lousy worshiper. Right? Because as I'm going through this, you're like, I haven't done that, and I haven't done that. Listen, first of all, I need you to know, I get it. Right, Because I am a lazy worker sometimes. I am a lousy worshiper at times. We all are lazy in some areas and lousy in others. That's called sin. And we all struggle with sin. That's why we need the gospel. That's why we need what the septic tank inspector had. That's why we need what Jesus had. I mean, that's why we need what David had. David knew a Messiah was coming, and he looked forward to the future when he would come. We look back in our history, and we know his name. We know that the Messiah did come, and his name was Jesus. And what he did is provided a way for us to have a good and right relationship with the God who loves us and made us, so that when we are lousy, when we are lazy, we can bring that to Jesus, and we're something beautiful in his place, we receive forgiveness. And when we have forgiveness, we have worship. And so we can bring our laziness and our lousiness to Jesus. And he, he has forgiven us for that. And then he sends us forth with freedom to say, now go fix it. Like for me, when I was teaching school, I had this project that I was supposed to do. Honestly, I can't even remember what the project was. The principal had given me this project. Um, I kept pushing it off to the backside because I just didn't have time to do it or didn't take the time to do it, whichever the case may be. And one day she popped into my room and she goes, hey Fred, how's that project coming? Have you started it? And I said, yeah, sure have, it's coming great. And she walked out. And immediately this conviction from the Holy Spirit came on me, you just lied to her. I was like, ugh. My first thought was, well, then I'll just start working on it real quick and make everything all right. But I knew I had to go confess to her. So I understood that that was sin. I confessed it. And going to her was my act of repentance. So I waited for the right time, right? This is what we do. We wait a week for the right time. Realizing that the right time would never come, that I had to make it, I just went and knocked on her door and walked in. And I said, hey, you asked me how that project was going. I said, I have started working on it, because I did. I did start working on it. I said, but when you asked me, I lied to you. I hadn't even looked at it. It was sitting on my file cabinet and had been there since the day you gave it to me. I lied to you. Will you forgive me for lying to you? Now, my principal was a couple of years from retirement. She had been a principal for decades. She said, Fred, never. And she said, of course I forgive you. But never in my career has anybody asked me to forgive them for something that they did. And I just said, well, I'm a Christian and forgiveness is really good. And that was it. You see, that's the gospel. That's how we make our workplace a place of worship. We can take our lousiness and take our laziness to the Lord and, and we're already forgiven of it. We confess it, and we repent of it, and we do make it right. And he can take this offering of sin, and he turns it into this place of worship because his forgiveness is real. And so for you, if, if you haven't had that, 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 that moment where you've said yes to Jesus, and maybe today is the day that you do that and receive that forgiveness called salvation, so you can have this good and right relationship with the Lord. And if you haven't, you know, do that today. If you have, as you've been listening, maybe there's something that God's stirring where you've been lazy or you've been lousy and it's time to bring that to the Lord and receive forgiveness and and to leave and confession and repentance. and, and, And we'd love to help you do that. But before we end this message, we have an opportunity to hear from someone. I want you to hear how their workplace is becoming a place of worship. Um, Hannah, are you in here? Come on up. All right, I think that's on. Yep. All right, so everybody, this is Hannah. Hannah, this is everybody. Um, Hannah, tell us what you do for your work.
1: Yes. um, So I work at Mountain Area Pregnancy Services. I am the grief counselor there, specifically for uh, those who have lost a pregnancy, um, Uh, and actually pregnancy and infant loss, the difference. Um, Miscarriage is up to 20 weeks, and 20 weeks and past is a stillbirth, and I deal with, I don't want to say just mothers, because I do have men come as well, um, just deal with their grief. And I haven't done that the whole time I've been there. Um, that's been about for the last year, and God moved me into that position. Um, I was slightly kicking and screaming, because you don't grow up wishing to be a grief counselor, I'll just say that. So, um, But it is my degree, and so it's just amazing to have an opportunity to work with a population that I wouldn't interact with otherwise, and so um, yeah, I'm just yes. really fortunate to be there.
0: So, in your work, you know, we've we've talked about this that, that her clients come into her needing a wide variety of things. Even though Mountain Area Pregnancy Services is a nonprofit place of ministry, people don't come in there looking for ministry, and so for them, it is just a workplace. I know for the staff there, they're believers, and it is a place of worship. But for people coming in, it is just a workplace. So how do you help make your workplace a place of worship, knowing that your clients come in with all different kinds of needs?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. It's kind of polarizing, knowing that we are a ministry, but we actually identify as a medical clinic as well. So um, something that I like to—or the way I like to approach it is— take from Jesus. You know, he's always the answer. He's always the best model. And what did he do? He met physical needs first, right? People coming to him, he always met those physical needs. If you were hungry, he's not like, well, you know, that's, I'm sorry you're hungry, but let's talk about your, your heart and your spiritual issues. No, he fed them first. So what do we need? How does that apply to us? Well, guess what those girls are coming in for? It doesn't matter the population or their background. They're coming in for a pregnancy test. They want confirmation whether they're pregnant or not. And a lot of times they're not in a great emotional state. Um, An ultrasound can help with that. And so we can meet that need as well. And what we hope is that a spiritual conversation could perhaps come out of us meeting their physical needs first, but if it doesn't, that doesn't mean we've failed, that doesn't mean we've done something wrong, Um, but we can meet those needs and look for opportunities, and a lot of that depends on us just as people, and so making it that spiritual workplace of, okay, how am I presenting myself just as a human being? uh, Is my body language open, or am I closed? Am I listening? Am I actually listening to what this person is saying to me instead of what I think she or he needs? And so just representing Christ and being like, okay, God, you have got to work through me. You have got to speak through me, or you got to tell me to shut up because I don't need to be talking right now and I just need to listen. And so that's probably the biggest way of, okay, we're meeting a physical need, but how am I representing myself, not even just the ministry, but myself as a person and how am I connecting with this person?
0: That's great. And so there is this kind of reliance on the Spirit to kind of tell you what the next step is.
1: Very much so. And I think
0: that's true for for all of us, too, is is, is that same reliance. Well, um, since I have you up here, I do want you to do a shameless plug for for what you have coming up. um, uh, And then tell people how they can find out more about what you do as well. Yeah,
1: thank you. So as I mentioned, I am the grief counselor, so I do individual um, counseling sessions at the center. But I'm so excited. I have been able to, with a lot of help, put together an event that is happening this coming weekend, six days from today. is um, a free, and I meant meant to mention earlier, forgive me, all of our services are free, just in case anyone didn't know that, that's kind of a big deal. Um, so this free event is for women specifically, because we have gotten the question whether men are allowed or not. I would love to do something with couples in the future, but just for right now, since this is the first time we've ever done anything like this particular event, it is for women who have had a pregnancy or infant loss, um, as I mentioned, miscarriage, stillbirth, or newborn death up until one year. And and we are just inviting these women to come. We're going to feed them. We're going to create, hopefully, a sense of community. Um, it is what I've heard um, explained, and it just makes sense to me. It's You belong to the worst club in the world. And so we're going to celebrate, but we're also going to mourn as well. And so just getting to meet other people that are in this horrible club and getting to pray and just focus on... Um, and just focus on whatever God has for them. And so I'm really excited. I've just seen God bring this event and the people um, who are helping me and also the people who are supposed to come. He's just brought, um, he's just showed up so far, and so I'm really excited about this event. So um, if you want to know more about that, if you yourself have had a pregnancy or infant lost, please come talk to me. It's what I do. Um, and if you want to come to this event or you know someone who, you think could benefit from an event like this come see me I have flyers for it Um, but also too just we have volunteer opportunities for men or excuse me women and men Um, and we just we have a lot of really amazing things happening we're seeing God work within the staff within uh, our services just taking the, um, our ministry in just awesome directions. So, we're really excited about that. So, we'd love to share that more with you. Um, our executive director is here with me. So, she and I are both going to be out at the table in the front in case uh, whoever didn't see that. So, thank you. That's Great. my shameless plug. <laughs> Great.
0: Thanks, Hannah. <laughs> now, for you, there's still another, another thing I would like you to get involved in if you can. This summer, we're going to do a focus group. It's going to be a brown bag lunch. Let's bring your own lunch uh, here in the building, uh, particularly focusing in on how do you make your workplace a place of worship? Uh, we are going to start a conversation. This is not a, a, a me telling you how to do it. We're going to watch some, some video teaching of some of the best teachers in the world on, on how to make your workplace a place of worship. Have a short conversation. And what I hope that we do from this group is that we start figuring out how fellowship can help impact the workplace uh, here in Asheville to help make it a place of worship for, for anybody that wants to engage in it. And so there'll be more information about that in the upcoming updates, and, and uh, so you'll hear about it. But I just wanted to put that out there that starting in June we'll be doing that, and I would love for anybody and everybody to come that can. All right, let me pray for us, and uh, the worship team will come up, and, and we will continue in worship for just a little bit. Jesus, you are good, and, and we thank you. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that that we do have a work to do, that we were created to work. Father, that 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 is in us and help us to be a people who work well, who are hard workers, um, who work with integrity of heart and skillfulness of hands. In Christ's name we pray, amen.